Man, thank you, Anya. And as we uh, look to the Word today, we're going to be back in Mark chapter 11. You know, we uh, have been going through this Gospel of Mark now for quite some time, and um, we actually finished the first division. We're roughly two-thirds of the way through the book now. And um, really, the, the first uh, section of the book is, is all about uh, leading to Jerusalem. And uh, the second part, which we'll begin here in Mark chapter 11, is, is really the events leading up to the crucifixion. Um, it's, it's actually um, the, the entire um, last third of the book here, these last six chapters, are uh, just about one week in Jesus' life. And uh, prior to that, the entire first ten chapters um, were, were about his life up until that point. And so we go from ten chapters for that you know, that length of life to now we're going to have six chapters on one week. And um, you, you can see the emphasis uh, that was placed on this coming week and the significance of that. Um, this is a, a gospel account. Mark started at the very beginning and said the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So it's not a, a typical biography. Here's everything that happened in somebody's life. Uh, they went to school here. They did this. So, you know, that's not what this is. This is a gospel account, and it's focusing on the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the, the very heart of that good news is contained in the last week of his life as we lead up to the cross. Mark chapter 11 now, if you would follow along with me as I read it aloud, beginning in verse 1, it says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never, never man sat. Loose him, bring him. If any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say that the Lord hath need of him. Straightway he will send him hither. They went their way, found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? They said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. This account that we have before us is really Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Now, his life has been looking forward to this point. How do, how do we know that? Well, Jesus came for a very specific reason. Uh, in Mark 10, 40, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, we could say that Jesus was born to die. And he knows that that week is approaching. I want to give you an, an illustration this morning. Uh, this is a fictional illustration. It's made up. It's not original with me. Um, but I, I think that it will at least get us in the mindset for the message that is yet to come. 
So imagine this, there's a, a family and it's Christmas time. Christmas is approaching. And, um, you know, normally this family has some presents and they go out and they enjoy a meal together. You know, they ha- kind of have a Christmas dinner. And uh, they're not well off, uh, but this year in particular, they don't have any money at all. Um, and, and so they're asking the question, what, what are we going to do for Christmas? We, we don't have all the stuff that we normally have. What, what are we going to do this year? And, and they start brainstorming ideas. Okay, well, what are some stuff that we can do for free? Or, it, it comes to their mind, you know, we have a rich uncle. Maybe if we reach out to, to him and invite him over, just because of his wealth, because of his riches, it, he would come and, you know, maybe we could still go out to dinner and maybe he would be the one who would pick up the tab. You, you know, this, and, and maybe he would come with presents and gifts and th- this will be great. And, and so they, they reach out to this, this rich uncle and they say, hey, we would love to have you for Christmas this year. We would be so delighted to have you join us. We, we would love for you to meet our family. Um, could you come for Christmas? And, and the uncle thinking, well, this is a little bit strange. I've never had any real contact with them. But, you know, I would like to get to know them better. And I appreciate the idea of them reaching out. Um, may, I think I'll go ahead and make the trip. And so he, he's scheduled to come. The family goes to the airport. They, they arrive there. They're waiting for him to, to come down uh, the escalator toward the, the, the passenger pickup and the baggage claim. And, and so he, he comes out. He's carrying his carry-on. And they say to him, all right, we're so glad to see you. And, and there's almost like a mini celebration. They're so excited. They're doing everything that they can to encourage him and, and just, just you know, praise the fact that he's there with them. And they're so excited about it. And, and, and they say, well, let's head over here to the baggage claim. We'll get your bags. And he says, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have any bags with me. And they're thinking, well, if he doesn't have any bags, how does he have any presents? How is this going to work? And, and he said, well, it's, it's just going to be a short trip. So I just brought my, my one carry-on. And, and they're a little bit discouraged at that idea. So, so they, they leave the airport, they go home, and now they arrive at home, and, and they, they talk to this uncle. They say, you know, uncle, we, we really like to go out and, and eat together, and we, we do this every year. And I, I think it would be so great if we went out to eat, but we, we just want to let you know that finances are a little tight this year. And, and so um, um, we, we wouldn't be able to afford that, you know, that bill to, to go out. And... Uh, but do you think we could still go out to eat? And uh, what, what happens? Well, there's this awkward pause, right? That little silence there. And, and finally, the, the uncle says, well, you know, that's okay. I understand. I'm a little bit tired from my flight anyway. I, I think I'll just go up to bed and go to bed early. Uh, you know, that, that would be fine. And the family is just very disappointed, right? They're very disappointed at this point. So the next morning, the uncle wakes up, and um, he had heard a few noises earlier, but finally he comes down the stairs, gets into the kitchen, and there's no one around. And, and he looks, and on the counter, there's a note, and, and it says, uh, Dear uncle, we're so glad you're here. We, we just went, uh, we're, we're all leaving, and we're going down to the local civic center because they're having some festivities for Christmas, and, um, and we, we want an opportunity to, to celebrate Christmas over there. And so... So we, we, we left, and, and we're, we're, we're sorry, but we'll, hopefully we'll see you later. Well, 
you know, the, the uncle felt obviously very discouraged and dejected, right? He had just traveled across the country to see this family. And perhaps that's a little bit what Jesus felt like as he enters into Jerusalem. You know, here in this account that we read together in Mark 11, many, many refer to this as the triumphal entry. And there is a degree of triumph there. Right? There is a degree of triumph, but there's also a great deal of tragedy in this account. And so the title of this morning's message is very simple, Triumph and Tragedy. But we're going to see very, first of all, is that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, doing what he was called to do, he puts on display his sovereignty in, in bringing about uh, the, the plan that God had for him. Verse 1 says that when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples. Now, the Mount of Olives is a mountain range. It's about two miles long. It's east of Jerusalem, uh, 2,600 feet high. So, uh, you know, a little less than some of the peaks out in, uh, you know, western Virginia, a little below some of that, but uh, certainly not Rocky's height, right? This is nothing like that. This, this is a, a lower mountain range. And he's coming at the time of Passover here. Now, let's remember what Passover was, right? Think back to the Israelites. They are in Egypt. They are under slavery. And uh, Moses comes asking Pharaoh to, to let my people free, right? Let my people go. And so he gives those commands. But remember, the, the last uh, plague, the, the last plague that came was going to be when the angel of death came and the firstborn children would be killed that evening. But the Israelites were told to do something, right? They were to kill a lamb and put its blood over the doorposts. And what happened? When that angel of death came, he would pass over their homes and the firstborn child would not die. What, What is that? That is a foreshadowing, a lamb that was slaughtered. Its blood was placed on the doorposts to provide a symbol And an image for what would happen when the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, would be killed for the sins of the world. And so Jesus, with his timing, coming into Jerusalem at Passover, is making it clear. I am that Passover Lamb. I am that Messiah who who came to die for the sins of the world. And so there is a, a very clear reason for the timing. Jesus didn't just pick any day to show up at Jerusalem. He, he was doing this to fulfill God's plan. Now, that, that first verse, verse says that he, he sent out two disciples. We don't know specifically who the disciples were there that were mentioned. One is likely Peter, because remember, when we're reading the Gospel of Mark, uh, the account here is, is detailed of what's about to happen. And Mark's Gospel, Mark traveled with Peter, and he recorded Peter's sermons. And it was upon the basis of Peter's preaching that Mark wrote this gospel account. So likely one of them was probably Peter because of the detail we have, but we don't know for sure. So Passion Week comes. Jesus has made it clear that he is fulfilling God's plan, and this is the week when he's going to die. And, and so he, he made a decision about when he would enter Jerusalem. He, he knew when it was going to be. It has to be Passover to fulfill God's prophecy. But not only that, he knew how he was going to enter Jerusalem. Verse 2 goes on and describes that. He said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. 
loose him and bring him. Okay, so here's this colt, right? Here's this young donkey. And it's a cult that has been set aside for a very sacred purpose. This is the cult that is going to bring Jesus, the Lamb of God, into the city in preparation for the cross. It had a very specific purpose. We could say a sacred purpose. And because of that, Jesus cared what this cult was like. What it, it, it says no one had ever sat on it. This was an unblemished, unused cult. It had never been used before. It's reserved just for the Savior. So they take the cult, they bring it to him. You know, this wasn't the only time that Jesus demanded, and his life demanded, something special or unique. Jesus was, was born. He was born of a virgin. He was found in a womb where there is no child had ever been before. Later, when Jesus would die, he'd be laid in a tomb. He'd be laid in a tomb where nobody had ever been before. You see, there was incredible detail about what was going on in Jesus fulfilling the prophecies that had been set out before. Why would we have all of this detail described? You know, who really cares what kind of animal he came in on? Why does that matter? Well... It's very clear from Scripture that this is prophecy being fulfilled. Prophecy in the Old Testament had been given. Genesis 49, 10 and 11 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. What is that? That's foreshadowing. Jesus' coming death, that he would ride in on this young donkey. And so as Jesus fulfills these prophecies, he's making a statement. And to the Jews in that day, it should have been abundantly clear, these are the prophecies of the Messiah being fulfilled right before your eyes. Verses 3 and 4 go on in the account here in Mark 11. It says, And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet, and they loosed him. What happened? Jesus said, I have need of a very specific colt. I have need of this particular one. I want you to go there, and it will be there. And he said, this is what, what's going to happen. If they ask you questions, you tell them that the Lord needs it. Well, what happened? Verse 5, five through 7 now. Certain of them stood there and said unto him, Why do, you, why do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus has commanded. And they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. All right, now some are wondering, and, and some commentators have asked this and wondered, well, did Jesus arrange this in advance? You know, did, did he call the local cult rental service and, and say, hey, I, I'm going to need transportation uh, when I arrive at Jerusalem? So, some have asked that question. There is nothing in Scripture to suggest that. In fact, it, it looks from Scripture that by all accounts, this, this is just Jesus providentially and miraculously working. Right? He, he is working to bring about his plan. Now, uh, when we come to a miracle... Right? Well, one of the things in Jesus' life 
is that at different times there are needs that Jesus has. And in every account, in every place, there is somebody there who is willing to help them. You know, how many people would just give up their young colt to just two random guys on the street corner? I mean, imagine that. You think about transportation today, right? Somebody comes up, your car's parked in the parking lot, and you notice them, they're checking the doors. Maybe one's unlocked, and they open up the door, and they're about to sit inside. Are you going to even mention something? I mean, we'd probably say, hey, you know, that's my car. You know, that, that's my vehicle. And, and their response is, yeah, but the Lord has need of it. And, and so they say, oh, okay. I, I, I mean, that, that is, that is the, the, the account of what is going on here. How, how does that happen? Well, when they said the Lord has need of it, they would have knew, known who they were referring to. They would have known that that was Jesus. And, and it seems that Jesus prepared in the heart of these people, the owners of this cult, he had prepared their heart to say, oh, it's for the Lord's use. He could take it, whatever he needs. And, and this isn't the only account of something like that. Right? We, we, we talk, talked about Mary before. Right? The angel came. The Messiah needs a body to be born in. Mary counts it a privilege. Whatever you would have. He needs a colt to ride on for the Passover meal. Oh, whatever you have, you can use it. We, we see it time and time again. Those who love Jesus, those who know Jesus, give of what they have for him. They're willing to. But, so we, we see Jesus working out his sovereign plan in this way. He, he brings about what God would have him. But secondly... We see that Jesus wanted to reveal his identity. Verse 7 gives us a description here. It says, And they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. So there's no saddle. Right? No saddle. A little bit more difficult to, to get up there. Right? So they're, they're, they're helping him up there. They're throwing their garments. They, imagine they're taking off their coats, taking off their cloaks. They're laying it on this donkey. So that there will be some cushion. won't be quite as hard on him. And in the midst of this, you say, well, okay, here's Jesus. He's going to enter the city on a colt. I'm sure there will be lots of people coming into Jerusalem on a colt, right? This Passover, a lot, of, a lot of travel going on. Well, not so. At Passover, the pilgrims who would come to Jerusalem were walking. They, they were usually singing songs. They weren't riding on donkeys. That's not how they came into the city. This would have been unusual. Matthew actually notes that, that this was done to fulfill uh, the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah. Where is that? Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt of the foal of an ass. What's happening? Jesus is fulfilling everything that was prophesied about the Messiah and his entry into Jerusalem that day. He's making a statement for all those who are there, for all those who are listening, I am the Messiah. Verse 8 goes on, it says, They spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches off the trees and strewed them in the way. We know specifically that those branches were palm branches uh, because of the account in John's Gospel. 
They, and so imagine that picture. Here is Jesus coming in. He's riding on this donkey. They, the, there's a crowd lining the streets, what we traditionally call Palm Sunday. And, and in front of him, they are laying down these palm branches. Now, this is something that was done uh, anytime you were recognizing uh, somebody who was coming in who was special. Right? Maybe it's somebody who was coming in who had authority or power. Uh, it, it, was, it was not that unusual for something like this to be done when there was a special guest coming to the city. It was a way to honor their entry. Verse 9 and 10 goes on. It says, they, went, they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, what does Hosanna mean? To save. That's what it means. So, you, so you're saying, Pastor, that all these people lining up the streets are out there shouting Hosanna. They're, they're shouting out to the Savior, and, and, and they understand that Jesus is going to save them from their sins. No, I'm not saying that. What was this crowd looking for? Well, the same thing that the other crowds have been looking for throughout the account of the book of Mark as we read through it. They are looking for a political leader to overthrow the power of Rome. They liked Jesus. They, they thought he was going to take the shackles of Rome off their arms. They thought he was going to overthrow Roman power. They wanted a coup. And if the leader of the coup comes in, you say, boy, let's give him honor. Let's shout out, save us. Save us from these evil Roman dictators. Take Rome off of our back. So, so who's out there? Who's out there? Certainly, if they're out there crying for a coup, you're going to have a bunch of Roman soldiers, right? Wouldn't you have a bunch of Roman soldiers gathered around? There's never an account of any Roman soldiers. No Roman soldiers trying to break up this event. Why? Because it's probably not even big enough to be on their radar. Sure, there's a group of people. There's a crowd out there. Do you know who's missing? The religious leaders. The Pharisees aren't out there. They're not welcoming Jesus. The governmental leaders aren't out there. They're not welcoming Jesus. The Romans aren't particularly concerned. All their local leadership, they're not even concerned about this guy. It's just a bunch of zealots, a bunch of crazy people out there on the side. And they're shouting about a coup, but that's no threat at all. You see... Not all were there. There was a gathering, but not all were there. Luke 19, 39 and 40 says, Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke the disciples. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Some Pharisees hear what's going on. Say, rebuke them. Don't let them do this. They didn't want this. Romans weren't concerned about it. The Pharisees aren't behind this. Says, Boy, if they're quiet, the stones will shout out. 2 Kings 9.13, we see that a similar procession was given for Jehu, the king. 2 Kings 9.13 says, Then they hasted and took every man his garment, put it under him on the top of the stairs, blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. What happened? They took their clothes, they, they laid them out and, and laid it out before him. Why? To give him honor. This type of thing was a, a common example. So what's so amazing about this, this passage? 
Here is Jesus. Here is the Messiah entering Jerusalem. He's going into the city. And, and certainly there are people there. They're shouting out his name because they want a political leader. But perhaps what is most amazing about this passage is what it doesn't say. So some have, have, have called this a, an anti-climax. Right? You're, you're building up. You, you, you think about it. The cl- crowd is gathering. Everybody is shouting. Everybody is excited. And then what happens? Well, verse 11 happens. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. All right, so Jesus comes in. He gets this big, excited crowd going. They're ready for the coup. He, walk, he goes into the city on the donkey. And the first place he stops is the temple. No, 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 Jesus, you need to go... Go, go to the Roman authorities. We're ready. Let's, let's have this thing happen right now. He goes into the temple. Now, there, there are a few things that, that are going on here. One is Jesus is very clearly clarifying his purpose. Why did Jesus choose a donkey, a, a young donkey to ride in on? I mean, he, he could have had anything he wanted. If he wanted a chariot, he could have had a chariot. It it was his choice, his decision. And and he arrived coming on a donkey. Well, generals don't arrive on donkeys, right? Battlefield generals don't arrive on donkeys. If you're leading an army, you come in on like a white stallion, right? That's what you come in on. You you have the sword up and all that stuff. I mean, it's like Zorro. That's what you expect if you're thinking about an army leader. You know, th- think about World War II. Think about somebody like General George Patton. A- and imagine him riding around among the troops and he's on a tricycle. I mean, that, that's kind of the equivalent of what would have been going on. You don't think of a military leader on, on a little donkey. And Jesus was making his purpose very clear. He did not come to that nation's capital of Jerusalem in order for them to gain political freedom. That wasn't his concern. His purpose was to enter the temple, to set out that he came to achieve spiritual freedom. He came to overthrow sin and the power of sin, not to overthrow the Roman government. So think about this. The Passover lamb comes in. He steps into the temple. What's going on at the temple at this time? It's Passover. They are sacrificing animals all over the place. Right? Animals are dying. There is blood being spilled for the sins of, of, of people as they offer these sacrifices to God. And he looks around. Here is the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God standing in front of the people, the one whose blood will do away with all of that animal sacrifice that's going on all around him. And he stands there looking around. And no one says to him, it's you. All of this will change. There will be no need for further sacrifice. It's you, Jesus. Nobody said, you're the one who's going to provide us freedom from our sins. You're the one who is going to make all of this go away. You will be the one true sacrifice. For all time. 
Instead, they, 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 they see him going into the temple, and it, it, it's almost as though, oh, man, he's one of those religious guys. Oh, 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 man, he, he's go- isn't that what the Pharisees do? They've never, they've never got Rome off our backs. They, they give half-hearted support to Rome. They're the ones who are against it. He's going into that temple where all those religious leaders have continued to allow us to be under the oppression of Rome. He's some religious nut. All of a sudden, those crowds that were out there shouting and declaring, save us, save us, begin to realize he's not doing what we had planned. He's not doing what we wanted. See, there, there are all those around today in the world today, and, and, and they will cry out Jesus' name. And they will have all kinds of ideas about what they want and expect Jesus to do for them. And Jesus, time and time again, will offer an explanation, that's not what I came to do. Where do we see it? You ever see those politicians who stand up? They claim God. They claim Jesus. They flout their Christianity. And then very quickly behind the scenes it comes out how terrible and sinful their lives are. Why? Because it doesn't match what they're saying. Right? Jesus is a door to enter into politics. He's a door to win elections. But their lives don't match what they're saying. Do not confuse religious zeal for saving faith. Those are two very different things. So Jesus entered the city. He's triumphantly welcomed by some. Secondly, he enters the temple and he is tragically ignored. The crowd wasn't there. Why? Because they didn't believe. It's just that simple. They didn't believe. So let's put this back in terms of the illustration that we began with at the very beginning. Remember that rich uncle we had talked about? So he wakes up and he's very hurt because the family has left and they're, they're away at the Civic Center now. And, and he had in his bag, his carry-on bag, gift cards for everyone. Large gift cards. He didn't know exactly what they like and so he, he had brought all kinds of different gift cards to give to them. He had in his bag an envelope filled with cash because he knew the family was hard up. And he wanted to, to give that to them and, and bless them so that they could actually buy things that, that were, were part of their need. And he liked going out to eat too. He, he actually knew at least a little bit about them, that they liked going out to eat. And unlike what they wanted to do, just go out to Applebee's and have dinner, which was an expensive restaurant for them, he, he had arranged that afternoon to have a limousine come to pick up the entire family, and they were going to go to one of the best restaurants in town where they had already prepared a banquet for all of them. It would have been tremendous. The whole thing was planned, but they rejected him. So that afternoon, the limo arrives. The uncle gets in. The driver said, hey, I thought we were picking up a whole family. The uncle says, well, there's been a change of plans. What I had to offer, they didn't want. Just like that crowd who said no to Jesus, we're not concerned about salvation from our sins. We're not concerned about all that religious temple business. We, We just wanted to get rid of Rome. 
they reject the greatest blessings that could have come to them. See, God came in the flesh to be our Savior. He came at the exact right time in Jerusalem, but more than that, to go to the temple, the very place of sacrifice to God. Because he is preparing to offer himself up that once and for all sacrifice when Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world. He came to be that perfect Passover lamb, and they ignored him. So he looks around. Verse 11 says, he leaves. He goes to Bethany with the twelve. So in that moment, he's gone. But he'll be back. He'll be back to offer his body as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. You know, this is triumph and tragedy. That's what this account is all about. I remember so often as a child hearing about Palm Sunday and just the excitement of Jesus coming. Undergirding that scene is great tragedy. Here is our Savior already being rejected in the midst of their praises and screams and religious zeal, in the midst of all of that. His great plan of salvation is being rejected by the people. Each and every day, people around the world are asked that simple question, what would you do with Jesus? And I, I don't know how all of you have responded to that question. But the question is simple. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, to save you? Not for political freedom, but to save you from your sins. That you might have eternal life and spend eternity in heaven with God. See, that's what Jesus came to do. That's what his plan was all about, and he fulfilled it perfectly. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, I'd invite you to do that today. Secondly, I'd ask you also just to consider, do you love Jesus for who he is? Or do you love him because of what you think he can do for you? And sometimes those thoughts of what we think he can do for us do not align at up at all with what he is offering. Can I just simply encourage you today? There is something much better than all of our false views or ideas about what the benefits are that Jesus offers. And he does offer benefits, make no mistake. But far more important than any benefit is the benefit that comes from having a personal relationship to him. We could say it this way, it's Jesus himself. Knowing the Savior, walking with him. And maybe you know him, but too often you, you, you look back to these fringes or you, you run off to these things or maybe it's gotten more of a religious exercise than about a personal relationship. If the Lord's just impressed that upon your heart today. Would you just confess that? That's what we call sin. That's what we call going against God, going against his command. Confess it and forsake it. He'll forgive you. That relationship can be restored, even right now. Let's look to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful passage. Thank you for this account. Father, it is a triumphal account. It's also a tragic account. 
Lord, we do pray that you would just impress upon our hearts whatever decision it is that we need to make today. As Pants begins to play, I, I want to just give you a chance to respond. If you'd say, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. I want today to be that day of salvation. Pastor, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior right now. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to call you out. I want to pray for you. Anybody like that at all today? Today can be that day of salvation for you. No one else is looking around. Maybe you'd say today, as we said before, I, I need to get back to a personal relationship with Jesus. I've allowed these different thoughts or ideas about what he offers to cloud that way. I just need to love my Savior. I need to walk with him. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Would you just talk to Jesus about it? Would you pray to him? Say, Lord Jesus, help me. This life's about you. It's not about me. It's not about gifts that you give me. It's about you and honoring you. We thank you for the gifts, but may my life be about you, Lord. Cry out to him right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Father, we thank you that you sent your son in spite of how he would be treated. Father, we thank you that you loved us far beyond what we could ever ask or deserve. Father, we thank you for our Savior. Father, we thank you for that once and for all sacrifice, the perfect Passover lamb. Father, we just simply praise your name today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to love you more and in turn to love others. We give you praise for what you've done in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.